like they wings. just no. got like little crickets. Then I think that we'll have the overall merchandise that's being sold for a number of years. What? Good for us to get to be together here for uh, part two of a two-part series entitled Redeem the Screen. And I would invite you to turn, you know, if you have a Bible on a screen or an actual Bible with pages to Acts 17, where we'll be today. And if you are new in any of these locations, either here physically in the West Auditorium or the East Auditorium or in Lovington or any of the other places that we talked about, I know that you guys are gathering us uh, with us on screens. Uh, my name is Brian and I have the privilege of looking at God's word with you here today. And uh, so if you missed last week of our uh, kind of part one, we looked at the content that we consume and you can consume that actually at firstcicator.org if you want to catch that. Uh, so we kind of, you could say we looked at the input when it comes to our screens and our devices and and this week, we're going to look more, you could say, at the output, uh, the communication, the community, the conversation, the social media that is kind of a platform for so much of that uh, in the way that really smartphones have completely changed the way that we use phones to communicate. You know, in fact, kids in the East Auditorium or, or kids at home, I think when we look at you all as parents and say, yeah, we used to use phones that were attached to walls that you would answer and you wouldn't even know who's on the other end. You know, when we say that, it's like we just said, yeah, we used to use outhouses. You know, it's like, it's like it doesn't even register. Because we know these devices in the last couple of decades have absolutely transformed the way that we use phones to communicate. And so couple of ground rules uh, for what this series is about. It is not designed uh, to be a two-week guilt trip to uh, make you feel terrible about the way in which you use your screens, but instead, we've said this is an invitation. This is an invitation uh, not to be legalistic, but to be wise. Uh, to not just, you know, figure out what are you allowed to consume or what exactly am I allowed to say uh, when it comes to our screens, but really to discover 
what is best. Uh, what is God's best for you? Believing that God's best is the best that you want for your life. And so we're going to jump right into our passage here that speaks right to what uh, God's best is for us when it comes to the way in which we communicate. Acts chapter 17. And so in Acts chapter 17, you've got the Apostle Paul uh, who is traveling the known world. The book of Acts is all about the start of the church. And so he's traveling around the known world, really spreading the good news about Jesus. And his journeys take him to the Greek city of Athens. And so picking up in verse 16, it says it this way. It says that while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he's waiting for his ministry comrades, he said, it says he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now an idol is anything that people put their trust in uh, for worth, uh, that can provide, you know, that you could say other than God. Whether they're gonna trust in, you know, money or resources, trust in power or status, that these are the things that, so you might, we might think an idol is like a little statue that people know. The idol is a representation of that which people trust in. And so, the city is full of that which people trust in other than God, full of idols. Verse 17. It says, so he, so Paul, he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, they began to debate with him, began to debate with Paul. Now, I know that like debating happening on social media right now is not what's taking place. And so try to relate, try to kind of put yourself in Paul's shoes Y'all can like pick up on a little sarcasm there, right? Yeah, okay. So yeah, plenty of debate going on out there in the way we communicate. All right, verse 18 says, some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for some foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and they brought him to a meeting at the Areopagus. Okay, and so the Areopagus, I know it's not a word we use a whole lot, is basically would have been the central meeting place for sharing and the debating of ideas. It was essentially like Facebook and Twitter before Facebook and Twitter actually existed. Okay, and so they're in the central meeting place having their debates. It says, where they said to him, they said to Paul, uh, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. And then the next verse, we get this parenthetical statement, kind of this by the way, but this, by the way, this sidebar here is actually the headline for our context and conversation here today. And it says it this way, verse 21. It says that all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there, they spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Now, the reason that's our headliner is because I don't know what the official definition of social media is, but whatever it is, if you took this verse, if you took verse 21 and you just stuck it in a dictionary, I don't think any of us would even blink or bat an eye at this definition that, quote, people who live there spend their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. When it comes to our screens, when it comes to social media in particular, 
I would suggest there are three key areas where we are tempted to or slip into verse 21, spending our time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas, whether that's sharing or posting or liking or commenting or canceling uh, these, quote, latest ideas, okay? And so the first area, uh, which is probably among the most obvious of them, is when it comes to our speech, when it comes to our speech, uh, it's funny, there's this little bubble that, to, uh, that, that pops up at the top of uh, Facebook, either on your phone or on a computer, and it just simply says this. The very first thing, it says, quote, what's on your mind? What's on your mind? And you know, you don't have to answer that. Just because Facebook is asking doesn't mean we have to be answering. Uh, when it comes to, uh, I think, but when it comes to that question of what's on our minds, when it comes to social media these days, I'm sure a lot of you would be happy to take my little, you know, little like diva microphone thing off my face and maybe share a few words, a few opinions, a few ideas about what you think is happening out there, not just what's happening, but maybe just on this topic in general of social media and how uh, it's affecting us. Um, and, and so really what we... I think we can all agree that whatever it is that we need to say or want to say about social media or on social media, we would all probably, at least in this context, if there's one space that we can agree, it would be that the one thing we could use less of, we could say is our words and what we need more of is God's word. I think we all would agree we could use a little less of our words and a little more of God's words. And so, um, more often than not, uh, you could say in this setting, this is the social media where our words are most at. And so I want to just take a minute here and just allow, rather than my words or our words to rule the day, I just want to read to you straight uh, from God's word when it comes to this conversation regarding and around social media. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus says, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. He's talking about food rituals with some religious leaders of the day. But this is the key. He says, it's what comes out of their mouth. That is what defiles them. Meaning, out of the overflow of the heart, Jesus says, our mouth speaks. Proverbs 10.19 says that sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent, the wise, they hold their tongues. Proverbs 18.2 says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Proverbs 17.27-28 says, The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. And then it goes on to say this, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. There's a paraphrase quote of this, and it's been attributed to Mark Twain and Abraham Lincoln, but essentially goes like this. It says, better to remain silent and to be thought a fool than to speak and to remove all doubt. Proverbs 12, 18 says that the words of the reckless they pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. James chapter one, verse 19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone 
should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Then one more, Colossians 4.6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And I wonder how better off we might be and how better we might do in this social media context if maybe every time before we posted, we reviewed these passages, before we commented, before we shared anything. And so some of you I know are going to say, oh, can we have those verses? And so we uh, went ahead and just put those on our little landing page at firstdecatur.org slash redeem the screen. And so you can have those to, to print, uh, to maybe have as a reference uh, for future use in any conversation. You know, you may say, I'm not on social media, but this is, a, this is about any communication, any conversation that we have in life. Okay. And so these are the kinds of God's words that we want to have when it comes to using our words in any conversation, speech, social media, or otherwise. Okay? Um, another area in which screens have, you could say, become maybe a new forum for what used to be more of a face-to-face -face conversation is in the area of offense. When it comes to being offended, when it comes to the reality that, who are we kidding, life is not always sunshine and rainbows, and there is a time to confront, there's a time to convict, there's a time to challenge, there's a time to have conflict, and preferably healthy conflict. And so Jesus gives us an approach uh, as to how it is that we are to handle someone who has been in sin or has sinned against us or offended us or maybe we're not sure if they've sinned against us but we need to have a conversation to figure out if that's what took place. And so Jesus says it this way in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. He says, if your brother or sister sins, he says, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, he says, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And so what Jesus is painting here is really this, this kind of, these steps, these, you could say this, like an order of operations an order that we're to take when it comes to an offense, kind of these various steps in the process or to solve the problem. Uh, students who are, or, or even parents of students who are in, you know, maybe pre-algebra or algebra or beyond, you know all about order of operations, right? You know that when it comes to like a multiple step math problem, you have to get uh, and take on parts of the problem in a particular order in order to come up with the right answer. Uh, for example, in this equation on the screen, uh, we start with what's in, even though that's in the middle of the equation, you always start with what's in the parentheses. So you do, you know, nine minus three, and then you move to the exponent, the five squared, and then you do multiplication and the division and then the addition, subtraction, and all of that. You, you know all about the order of operations because in algebra and all that stuff, you know that if you don't get 
the order right, if you, the order of operations is wrong, then you will come up with the wrong answer. You will end up with the wrong result. And I wonder how often social media has gotten uh, the order of operations wrong for us when it comes to offense, that we get the order wrong and thus we continue to end up with the wrong result when it comes to handling areas of offense. Because Jesus said, it starts with a one-on-one conversation, and then if that doesn't go well, that you get a couple of other people maybe to have the conversation with, and then you take it to the church, which means take it to the, the pastors or the elders, and then if that still doesn't work out, then you disassociate with that person. But even still, the goal of that disassociation, ultimately, if possible, is reconciliation. But instead, Many professed Jesus followers have not followed Jesus' way. They have not followed Jesus' order of operations uh, as it's been hijacked very often by the world's way, which is the way of social media, which is, frankly, the com- it usually starts off with the complete opposite of a one-on-one conversation and seems to want to start with the largest audience at first, which, by the way, is never a part of Jesus' order of operations. Nowhere do we take our offense to the public square. Uh, The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, it's better for you just to remain offended than to take your disputes to the public, to, they say, like a secular judge, a secular context, in front of, uh, really as a negative witness to those who are unbelievers. Never take your dispute in front of unbelievers. Now, don't misunderstand, Paul nor Jesus are not suggesting that we can't have conflict. If you read the New Testament, Jesus and Paul both had plenty of conflict in their life. But what Jesus is saying, that there is a way in which to handle that conflict. There is an order of operations in which we are to respond to conflict and offense. It's Jesus' way versus the world's way. And we want what's best and we believe Jesus has what's best and so we wanna follow God's best for the way in which we handle our lives. Okay, so first two areas we wanna redeem our screens and redeem social media is with our speech and with handling an offense. And then the third area, which really is at the root of all three areas, really this central idea that uh, Paul is addressing in the Areopagus when he's kind of talking about uh, what he's gonna look at and what he's gonna do in the rest of this passage is the number one issue that covers all three and that is the issue of identity. Identity, that our identity, uh, well, first and foremost, Paul is going to address the identity of who God is, and then as one created in his image, our identity flowing out of that. Um, To kind of illustrate how this uh, doesn't go always well on social media, uh, on the screen is a picture of our four kids. This is our back to school photo uh, a couple weeks ago. This is the one without the masks. We didn't want the masks because that's what you do. And so what you see here is something that, this is what our family posted on social media and we've got comments, oh, beautiful family, where's the time gone? Look at how they've grown up. Um, And so this is what you see, but what you don't see is what's happening on the other side of that lens. What you don't see is uh, their mother and I scrambling like maniacs to get them ready in time in order to get the picture that makes social media, that gets them on the bus. What you don't see is the youngest brother uh, fussing at the older sister, get your hair out of my face, and 
you know, the youngest brother, put your arm around your sister. He's like, I don't want to put my arm around my sister. Put your arm around your sister. And he puts his arm around his sister. And he's like, that tickles. And you can see her. She's like pooling away. Uh, you can kind of get a glimpse of what's happening behind the scenes. And I'm like whisper shouting. You know what a whisper shout is? It's where you shout. Oh, yeah, parents, we know about a whisper shout. It's where you shout, but you don't want the neighbors to hear. It's like. And so that is what is happening behind the scenes. Now, I'm not suggesting their smiles are fake. I mean, sometimes they are. But uh, it's simply just recognizing that we have to see that every freeze frame shot that you see on social media to some degree is staged beyond its actual reality, right? Like, like the gal in our video prior to the sermon, you know, trying to get that perfect shot. Uh, to some degree, there is something that is not actually realistically being represented on that one-dimensional screen that is taking place in real life. I overheard Pastor Jonathan uh, actually talking about this very issue when he was doing a teaching in uh, MOPS, or Mothers of Preschoolers. And I was just walking by, I was heading to another area of the building, and um, I overheard him. And so I don't know if the quote is original with him or not. I heard it from him, so I'm going to give him the credit. But he said it this way when it comes to social media. He said, don't compare others' highlight reels with your behind-the-scenes. Don't compare others' highlight reels, what they can put out and what they can plan to, to kind of represent their identity on social media. Don't compare what is on that highlight reel with all that you know is happening in your own behind the scenes. Another way of looking at it is what we tend to do is when we look at social media is we compare, you could say, what we don't know about someone else with all the stuff that we do know about ourselves. And the reality is, is that this Social media, it is always going to be a fertile ground, you could say, for comparison traps. Comparison traps. Comparison traps are that that rob us from our true identity as, in this case, to try to create one, as we try to create one online. Um, and hear me, the comparison game, it is always a losing proposition. No one wins in the comparison game. It is always a lose-lose. That anytime you compare your kitchen with someone's Pinterest kitchen, or you compare your family vacation with someone's Instagram vacation, or you compare you know, your selfie with someone else's profile picture, or you compare your one-liners and your wit with someone else's tweets, that anytime you're comparing essentially your life story to someone else's Facebook story, it is a lose-lose every time. Even when you feel like you win, you lose. Because if you feel like you win and you compare, well, then what happens is you are puffed up with pride. Well, hey, aren't I better than? Or you're derailed with discouragement. Um, oh, I wish I was. And so it's a lose-lose it's a every time. Every time we compare because we're either puffed up with pride, uh, the sin of pride, or we're derailed with the discouragement and the sin of envy. Oh, I wish I had, or I wish I was, or I wish I was just like so-and-so. It is always a lose-lose. Um, I once heard it said this way. It said, every minute that you spend wishing you had someone else's life is a minute you spend wasting yours. Now, 
what I'm not saying here is that we shouldn't ever post blessings and joys and milestones and special moments to be celebrated and shared with friends and family on social media. I'm not saying that, nor any more than we uh, should resist uh, sharing you know, needs or hurts or prayer requests for support. Um, social media absolutely can be a place where it says in Romans 12, 15, it can be a place where we rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And so it almost sounds like, okay, Brian, you're almost talking out of both sides of your mouth. What's the point here? How do, what do we post? What do we don't? What are we not supposed to do? I think the question that really lies at the heart of all of it, a question that gets underneath the whole thing, um, is a question that, frankly, it's a pretty scary question uh, because the answer is not something that we always want to have to face. But the question simply is, when it comes to what you are posting, is this simple little question of, why? Why? Why am I posting this? You, you know, why, or you might say, what is my motive? And am I trying to like, portray a particular identity? And if so, why am I doing that? We live in a world where people, where we all, give our worth, we're all tempted, me included, to give our worth to all kinds, frankly, of idols. All kinds of things that we are tempted to define our worth and our identity by. And as the Apostle Paul says to the people of Athens, and I think would say to us, verse 16, he was and is greatly distressed to see a city that is full of idols. To which Paul, he says it, this way, he's speaking to these people in this group that have all these idols in verse 22. So pick it back up in the scriptures with me. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, people of Athens, he says, I see that in every way you are very religious. I see that you're very religious. Basically he's saying, I see that you are deeply devoted to your ideologies and your idols. Verse 23 says, for as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, he says, and again, these, the Greek culture, they had gods and goddesses for everything. They had gods and goddesses for power and politics. They had gods and goddesses that were all about identity and beauty and all these different things. And so he's seeing all these different representations. And he says, I even found an altar with this inscription. It says, to an unknown God to an unknown God. And this, this is where, actually, in case the Greeks forgot one, they literally had a miscellaneous category for a God. Like, we, wanted, we think we got them all, but just in case, they literally had to, an altar to an unknown God, a miscellaneous God, in case they missed one of those values, one of those idols, one of those ideologies in which they're supposed to have. And so which Paul then uses that as an opportunity to really speak to and really affirm their search for identity and worth, and he points them to the one true God, okay? And so, in an effort to do less of our words, less of my words, and more of God's word, listen to how Paul uses that to point them to the one true God of the scriptures. Verse 23 continues. He says, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and so this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth and he does not live 
in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life, breath, and everything else. He is giving you your identity. Verse 26 says, from one man, he made all the nations. And so Paul's talking all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 12, where Abraham is told, I'm gonna bless you and you're gonna bless the world through your lineage. From, all, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Through, and this, I love this, though he is not far from any one of us. God is not far from any one of us. For in him, here it is, we have our identity. For in him we live and move and have our being. And he says, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And what I love about the Apostle Paul there is he's actually quoting kind of like the secular poets, the secular musicians. You could say, kind of relative to our context, the secular movie makers. He's using their quotes and their settings in order to relate to where they're at to draw them to know God. And so that's just kind of a perfect segue as to what we're looking forward to next weekend. Uh, some people even say, okay, why do we do this at the movies thing? Honestly, it's less about those of us who are already here. It's a whole lot more about those who aren't yet here. And so we want to quote the poets, quote the movie makers of our day in order to reveal God to them. And so this week, redeem your screens with texts, emails, shares, whatever, uh, to invite people who might not otherwise step into a church either digitally or physically to join us for our At The Movie series next week. Okay, sidebar over. Uh, he says, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, since we really come from God, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, like any of these idols that they're looking at. Uh, an image made by human design and skill. Basically, he's like, God is not a part of any of this temporary stuff. And it says, Paul says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent to literally turn away from these temporary idols and turn to their permanent identity in Christ alone. Verse 31, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man. And that man is God the Father's one and only son, Jesus Christ. He has appointed him. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And so we see the apostle Paul here. He uses what is temporary to reveal what is eternal. He takes uh, verse 21, the nothing but talking about the latest ideas of the day, and he redeems it. And he points them to, as it says in verse 24, the God who made everything. And so, have you placed your identity in the one who has given you your identity in Christ alone? And I would say today, if you have not yet done this, um, then we can, you can actually literally redeem your screen right now to do that, to have that conversation too. Uh, if you're in the room, I'll be the last to leave and be honored to talk with you about what it means to place your life in Christ, your identity in him, and uh, in all of the other spaces, or you can even do it in the room. You can actually just text the word Jesus to um, our church phone number, and it's kind of maybe a strange way to get the conversation started, but uh, it's been cool to see several people do that over the last several months, and we would be honored to start that conversation to identify identify who you are in the identity of Christ. And so bringing this all down, you could say to like a, like a practical step, like, okay, 
We've said a lot. We've said um, a good bit about what it is to redeem our screen. So what do we now do? What do we do differently as a result of sitting here for the last 45 minutes uh, that we wouldn't have done had we not walked in here? And I would say this, that in our effort to examine our words in light of God's word, to maybe even use less of our words and seek more of God's word, what if, what if every single time before you posted, before you posted, before you commented, before you did anything, what if before you posted, you chose to pray? What if you prayed before you posted? Pray before you post. And what do you pray? What do you say? What do you ask? Uh, well, not our words, but maybe God's word. In this verse in Psalm that speaks so specifically to this context for us, Psalm 1914 says it this way. We want to pray this before we post. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And you can see as on the graphic there that maybe that's something you want to take advantage of at firstcater.org slash redeem the screen. It's a little background for your phone uh, that will just kind of be that trigger to make sure every time before we post, we pray. And what do we want to pray? We want to pray the word of the Lord before we speak our word, our words. And so with that goal in mind, uh, why don't I pray this exact passage over each of us here today. Let's pray together. Father, may the words of our mouths and the meditations, the thoughts expressed from our hearts, may they be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray for it. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to invite you here in the West Auditorium to stand with me uh, and in the East Auditorium as well and wherever you're at at home, whatever posture would best suit worship as we respond appropriately with uh, some words in these songs that really talk about what does it mean to redeem what maybe Satan meant for evil and you turn it, Lord, for good. And then from there, we will proclaim our identity in Christ alone. And so I would invite you to proclaim these words with us as we sing them and worship and give worth to the only one who is worthy of our worth, the Lord our God. So would you sing with us? <laughs> 